In this episode, Daryl Cox, CFO at Venner Solutions, shares his insights into a methodology he calls the Agile CFO, and how this forward-looking and pragmatic approach to leadership can make an unprecedented impact on business performance. Hi, I'm Rob, and this is the CFO Playbook. Each week, you'll get insights from world-class finance leaders to help you grow your company and yourself and face the challenges required of today's finance leaders. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us today. It's super exciting to be talking with you. Very happy to be here. You've had a really exciting journey as a finance professional, so super excited to chat. Could you, could you give our listeners a, a brief rundown of where you've been and, and what you're doing now? I guess I've been in tech for a while. I've been in hardware. I've been in software. I've also been in uh, telecommunications, but a whole variety of different businesses. But I guess really, if you wanted to say if I had a speciality, it was uh, it's in growth stage businesses. And even when I was in telecom, I'd say I was in businesses that were growing quickly. So it was, that's kind of been my uh, accidental specialty. And if you ask me what I'm doing, I'm always doing the same thing. And it's something about what I really actually enjoy about finance is being able to be this trusted business advisor. I think, you know, when I went to school, you know, I kind of lost my uh, entrepreneurial. <laughs> I'm not like the guy who's going to do it. I'm perfect for the finance role because I've got all the great ideas, but I'm not going to take the risk, right? <laughs> and they send you to finance school and they take all the risk out of you, right? Because now, you know, they really nurture that healthy skepticism and risk avoidance. So, but I make a great business advisor and I think, you know, I'm the business advisor who owns the numbers and in every place I've ever been, this is what I do. You know, I get all the numbers together. I store them. I, I mash, I bring numbers from different places. I mash them up and, you know, I sift them around. It's like reading the tea leaves, like what is going on in there? And I try to get that story out. It's like, you call me a, a translator from like 10 number alphabet to English or French or Italian, or call me maybe like a storyteller in a way. It's like, but I look at the numbers and what do I see and how do you get that message out to the business to drive change, to make an influence, to make, to grow faster. I love my job. I've always found that very exciting. And in order to be able to get those numbers out, you can rely on some pretty neat technology to be able to do that through your, through your current position at Vena. Um, so may, maybe you can just give a little bit of an intro to, to Vena and how that allows you to sort of even, you know, take that role to an, an, an approach to, to the next level. Thank you for asking that. This, I've been doing this for a long time and I've always been able to do it. And, you know, finance people and business people before me have been able to do it with much older technology, but it's really now it's important. Technology has become that much more important for the finance person to be able to do what I do. And the reason is because there's just, there's just so much more data right? Every little appliance is, is measuring a heartbeat and sending it to some database somewhere. Every little machine on your assembly line, you know, your sales funnel leads come in and there's like milestones, conversion rates along the way, it turns into revenue. And there's so much in there. And the more you can get at it, the more rich of a story you can get and a better understanding of what's happening. But if you don't have technology, good luck. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not fighting that with this or really harnessing it. And I think the other thing that's important to note is that people are starting to expect their trusted business advisors or finance leaders to harness all of that power. And if you don't have the technology at hand, you're not, you're not going to be able to do it. And you're right. The technology today, modern technology is, is really advanced a lot from where it was. And I remember, as an example, I like to use a lot when I started at Arthur Anderson, 
I don't even want to say how long ago that was. My first computer was this thing we called the sewing machine. It was like a compact computer and you folded down the keyboard at front and it had two floppy disk drives and a screen about the size of like, I don't know, four by four inches. <laughs> but this thing was as big as the sewing machine. It was huge. My job was basically to cart it around for the more senior staff that, that year. But, you know, you look at what a laptop is now or what's in a phone, right? That A phone is so much more powerful. But that's that's also happened to business technology more broadly. And you can see it really happening in the tool set that's available to the Office of Finance, you know, the FP&A department, the CFO, the whole team. And you really have to have that technology at your fingertips to be doing what you do the best, to be maximizing the impact you can have on your business and frankly, being most successful you can be in your career. Completely. And and, and there, there must be some core pieces of technology that you would that you rely on and that you would recommend as part of like a core technology stack in the finance team yeah so if i so if i think of the technology i want to use or that i do use everywhere i've I've been that most important for me is you know first of all you got to have a good a good gl but second of all you got to have your your people data in order right so get connected and get it out of the system. So yeah, you got a good payroll system, but what I mean is get that data out into a database and uh, smash it against your GL data. And then, you know, whatever, it depends on what industry you're in, but in SaaS software, you know, the sales funnel is so important. So I connect straight to a Salesforce and HubSpot. But you, for example, if you're in a manufacturer or wholesaler or retail, you probably want to be looking the same way at your inventory system, right? Get all that data out. But if I just stick with the SaaS example where I'm from, most familiar with, I need to put all that data into a central database. And that database needs to tie directly to my plans, my budget, my reporting. So I can do my reporting cycle. Think of it as a part of the management operating process for the business as a whole, right? So you do a plan, turn into a budget, you execute, you measure against that plan, you evaluate how you did, and then you decide whether or not you're going to change your plan or not, and change your budget again, right? And to do that most effectively, you know, if things are changing or if you want to make a change. So if I think of like this whole pandemic kind of, you know, is still in flight. When that first happened, it was like, oh my God, we need to change our plan. What's going to happen with sales, right? So we redid our whole cycle and we involved all the people that would have been involved in the plan. And without that kind of central database and planning system. And we use Vena, of course. I guess you'd be disappointed if we didn't. So Vena is a a planning solution. It's a platform for business planning. So you can use it for integrated business planning. Everyone in your company can participate in that plan process. And that's important because the more people you have involved, the more responsible and accountable they feel and the better aligned you are as a team, right? And the other important thing is you got to be able to do it fast. And that was really important with this pandemic because if we weren't able to readjust our plan, like who knows, we wouldn't have been able to reset our guidelines. Maybe we would have been spending too much money. You know, it was important to shift our plan from being totally growth focused to cash conscious, right? But even putting the pandemic aside, looking forward, if you're not pushing the limits, if you're not agitating for change and you're just static, what are you doing, right? So it's just the same thing, but flipped instead of being like, self-preservation, it's like maximizing opportunity, but it's exactly the same thing because you're going to be experimenting and testing. And again, you're going to be on the limits of uncertainty. So if you make a decision that's not right, you don't want to like let that go on for too long. You want to 
identify it fast, course correct. So that's going through that management operating process I described frequently and with all the people involved. And if you don't have a good planning system for that, despite all the data you have, you're not going to be able to to harness that data. You're not going to be able to align your team around it. You're not going to be able to make decisions fast and make mistakes quickly. And so I have this thing called agile planning, which I don't know if you want to hear about, but I definitely want to hear about that. I definitely <laughs> want to hear about that. I do, I do, because I mean, I think like let, let's be honest, the word that summarizes the everything that you've just been describing, which has been accelerated by the pandemic, is a need to be agile to, and a need to be an agile finance leader, an agile CFO, and lead an agile finance department. And so that's actually a, a methodology that you've been talking about, the notion of the uh, and, and a notion of the the agile CFO. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that and understand what it means to be an Agile CFO and how to become an Agile CFO. I think we've already just kind of discussed a little bit, one element of that, which is the numbers and having the technology in order to be able to extract the data to talk to the numbers. But yeah, there's a clear link with the Agile CFO. So let's let's chat more about that and understand what that's what that is and how that can benefit finance leaders. You know, it's Agile with a capital A. I'm borrowing the word from development teams, like the high-performance product development teams in software industries especially use this principle called Agile to develop great software, right? And the basic principles are you're developing software for a reason, right? You have a customer, you're trying to solve their problem, or you have some user, you're trying to solve their problem, and you want to do the best possible job at solving that problem. And there's Agile principles for development that are you know, developed around this, this purpose, right? And if you look at what finance people are trying to do, it's basically the same thing. You know, we support a business user who's got a business case, a problem they need to solve. And if we're doing the best we can, we're probably going to be already deploying what I call agile principles. But I have these agile principles of finance to break it out so you can thoughtfully look at it and consider, am I doing this? Am I not doing that? Kind of parse it out so that it's helpful to understand. So I guess the basic principles are it's got to be iterative. So just like the development agile, it's got to be iterative, small pieces and why? So that you can be quick and efficient at turning and adopting. And you got to focus on the key objectives. Like what is your long-term, what are you trying to do, right? Is your objective to make great software or build a great business? Or is it simply to document the software? Or is it simply to document your processes? Like, why are you documenting your processes? Why are you doing a budget? It's because you're trying to build a great business and always keep that in mind. And it's this quick feedback. So if your long-term objective is to accomplish X, Y, Z, you know, if you're constantly measuring your steps, because it's like, you know, it's a long time away if you're thinking big. It's like when you're driving a car, if you're just looking at the speedometer or directly in front of you, you're going to have an accident for sure. You got to be looking at the road way out at front, right, to anticipate everything and you know, watch for the road signs and make sure you're going in the right direction and so forth. And then, of course, there's a technical excellence, which gets into the technology. So those are the key principles. And what you're talking about there is 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 rather than the finance function reporting on what's happened, reporting about what's in the rear view mirror, it's about being able to be in charge of the data enough to start to help shape the future, shape to look forward. Yeah. So if I go down my the actual principles, it's like I'll just list them off first and then we can explore some of them. It's like be human. Be human means, you know, don't be that prickly finance guy because you actually have to communicate with people and the friendlier and more EQ you have or the more empathy you have for the people you're supporting and the people support you require because it's all you're all community you're going to be more effective be a storyteller don't just like 
slam up a bunch of numbers and say, see, <laughs> it's like, get to the point and describe why people should be interested, get them excited about it, interested, and so they listen to you, right? Think big. Again, it's like, don't don't be looking at the speedometer right in front of your, your hood or the next exit. Think about where you're going, which where is your journey taking you at the end of the day, week, year, five years. So think forward. Own change as much as possible. And this is where you were going. Like, Don't just look in the rearview mirror or, or look at what's happened. Look at, it's like an early indicator as far out as you can. And so again, in SaaS, it's like looking at the sales funnel. Like as soon as the lead shows up, what did it cost, right? And did it cost cheap enough or what's the conversion rate? Because, you know, it's like those two things combined will decide whether or not you have an expensive customer acquisition happening or an, or an efficient one. And then lastly, it's it's the technology because to do all of that most effectively, you got to get as many people involved as possible and do it fast, iterate fast. And without good technology, good planning, te- business planning technology, like the tool I know and love, Vena, you're not going to be as successful as you can be. 100%. Empathy is one that's just starting at the top with, with that one. I, I've heard this in a number of conversations that I've been having with finance leaders and, 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 and how important it is to develop those skills that enable good communication and good partnering with other areas of the business. And, um, you know, how, how did you start to develop that empathy? Was it something that was very natural to you and something that you just developed over time? Or was it something conscious that you, you thought, I need to just maybe not be in the numbers on a, you know, every second of the day, I need to get out and I need to understand other areas of the business. I wish I could say that completely came natural to me. And I wish I could say I'm actually really good at it. <laughs> but I'm not, Look, I work on that every day. That is one of my most important things as a, as a leader, as a finance leader, is to be on the ball with that. And it it does not, I don't think that comes natural to a lot, a lot of finance people. I hope all the effort I'm putting into it is paying off. But if I look at some of my friends and peers and the most successful finance leaders that I know or have seen, they have that. You know, they're not only really great with the numbers, but they they know who they're talking to. They know what that person is concerned with. They know what they're interested in. And they say the right stuff at the right time in a way that is most human and most energizing. And like you said, it's empathetic. It's like you understand their situation. What What is going to get them excited and motivated? Why do they get up in the morning and talk to that? What steps did you pragmatically take to to develop that? Was it was it simply sitting down with other areas of the business, other functional leaders, or was there more to it with that? Was it, in addition to that, a, a curiosity mindset? 100%. Yeah. What, what would you be saying to finance leaders like, oh, I know I need to be much more empathetic, but it's sort of outside of my comfort zone. So what pragmatically could I be doing on a daily basis to start to, to develop my empathy towards the rest of the areas of the business? You know, you have to meet them and talk to them, not go into a shell and, you know, focus on the numbers, focus on the people. But it's when you're doing that, I find most helpful to imagine what it's like to be them. You know, that that whole like, you know, walk a mile and, you know, the other person's shoes, like what is what makes their life difficult? And, you know, when you're talking to them about the numbers, what numbers should they be interested in? Like if you're in their shoes, what do you want to hear about? So if you're talking to someone in marketing, then you, you empathize with their cost of acquisition and their, and their lead conversion rate. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's interesting. They, they're not as worried about their cost of acquisition. What they're worried about is making their sales targets, right? They've probably got 
that's a perfect example though, because the way to frame cost is not like, wow, you have a budget of $10 million and you spent 11, you're in trouble. It's more like, wow, you did you know that, you know, you brought in all these leads at X cost per lead in this channel, which is like a really efficient one, even though it seems to cost more, it converts faster. So when I see, even though it counterintuitively looks like it's going to cost more, it's going to convert faster and in the end lead to better growth. I've spend more over there, right? Because you're going to grow faster and frame it in context of what does interest them. Another one is, God, if they exceed their targets, a lot of times they, I'm happy them spending more money. Like it's completely different philosophy. If they're more efficient and able to generate more efficient sales, if, if, and you know, I'm like, why would I put a limit on them on spend in some ways? Maybe I need to go and get more money for them. I think that's really interesting because, yeah, I, I definitely have witnessed more of a relationship between marketing and finance, which is centered around, did you spend your budget or did you spend more or, or less? And it's more of a budgetary conversation versus a, an analytics and insights conversation about where that money's going, how hard is that money working, and an efficiency conversation about what what other areas could we could that money be invested in to, to drive a more effective outcome. This ties right to the storytelling, right? It's like, so how how are you going to get that story out of the GL? So you're not, right? How are you going to get it out of? Uh, you're probably more likely to get it out of out of Google, wherever you're spending. If you're if you're comparing, you know, different AdWord buys, or you know, you're going to get it out of HubSpot, or you're going to get it out of your whatever database you're using, where you can collect the cost per lead, and then maybe in Salesforce and track those leads. And the conversion rates along the way, that's how you're going to find that out. And in the end, you're going to get like how much marketing spent in a period and whatever. So a lot of that stuff, you got to reach out, look outside. So it's like if you're thinking yourself of as, as, as a storyteller and you're trying to get ahead of all that. Yeah, it's like what numbers are you even looking at? And so when you're thinking about it from the perspective of the marketing person, you're going to be wanting to look at marketing data, the numbers. But yeah. And then have you got an example of uh, not just marketing, but maybe another area of the business where you've worked closely with, where you've understood more deeply with them the the challenges that they face? I've got another good marketing example that doesn't relate to conversion rates. So this one, I was uh, in a phone company and uh, every Christmas we shipped out a bunch of phones and that was our busiest season. And we hope that you know, everyone would buy our phones and connect. But what we found historically is that some locations would run out of one kind of phone and other locations would have too many of that kind of phone. And at the end, after the season was done, you'd be sitting with all these phones that, you know, are useless because you're not going to, they're out of date already. Their season has, has been passed. So now you got to have these big write-offs. We're still, you didn't sell them. Like if they were in the right location, they probably would have sold, right? So we put in place, the finance department and that phone company put in together a database that we had a bunch of point of sale, retail point of sale partners in our own locations as well. And we filled that up with the actual inventory at the store location and we monitor it constantly. And there were some retailers that, this was a few years ago, they couldn't connect electronically. So literally we had the salespeople calling <laughs> each store and saying, how many phones you got? What kind of phones you got, right? And if they had too many of one and they were out in another, we'd send over a, a courier to pick up the phones and move them to another location. We would not let the retailer or just you know take an extra day or three days to do it themselves. We just did it for them. And we maximized, we were able to maximize our sales. 
and limit our, our losses. And so, you know, again, it's about mashing up data, but achieving a better business output and achieving a better financial output as well, not waiting to the end to say, hey, look, we got this big inventory right off. <laughs> And analytics is is an area that exists in a lot of businesses today and is becoming more and more important. And I think I think what's interesting is that there is a natural home for analytics. It isn't necessarily a separate department, but actually it seems pretty natural for the finance function and the finance department, seeing as the finance department are specialists in the numbers and have grown up working in numbers, should be where analytics and these insights should sit and originate from. That's interesting to say that because a lot of companies do have analytics departments, including Vena, but that doesn't mean the finance department shouldn't be doing the same thing. It's like there's a handshake somewhere in between, right? Your partners. So finance still has all the ability to, and can drive better business decisions and be a better business partner by continuing to do so. And by working hand in hand, with that, call it analytics department, operations department, or enterprise information management, as we call it at Vena, and drawing data from that, bringing it into you know, the plans and going an extra level of depth into the, into the planning process. So it's not just about the financial numbers, it's about the KPIs, the drivers that propel the business and, and, and wind up eventually in, in, as a financial number. So you can have a much more effective plan by getting in there and working hand in hand with those groups and do better analysis as a finance team by leveraging what they're putting together and looking at it through your finance lens, which is a great business lens. It can be. I should imagine that positions the finance department completely differently within the organization in, in terms of it being a partner to the business instead of the, the, the department that is routinely and reactively reporting on what's happened in the past. 100%. You mentioned that there's a number of um, elements to, or principles to the Agile CFO methodology, empathy. Be human, storyteller, think big, think forward, own change, bias to action. What do you mean by owning change and, and a bias for action? They're all interrelated. But if you are just putting out you know, financial reports, as an example, like how are you going to, how are you going to influence the business, right? But if you're thinking about everything you do in context of what kind of action am I trying to drive in the business? Then you think about framing your story differently. And, uh, you know, everything, for example, if there's a sales number, just boom, sales number. Uh, yeah, we hit our sales. We didn't hit our sales. But within there, what's going on in sales, right? If you got like one channel that's doing really well, that's more efficient, one that's been doing okay for a while, but, you know, eventually it's going to peter out drill into the story and put that on the surface of it, you know? So yeah, we made sales this month, but next month's going to be hard because, you know, we don't have the leads in the funnel or this channel is going to have a problem because this is happening or this one's looking really good. So maybe we can focus on it. Right. It's just peeling, you know, I just wanted to say peel the onion, but it doesn't need to make you cry. It's just like getting into it, but framing it a certain way, like and not just randomly getting into it, but getting into it to accomplish a particular result. And that, that ties perfectly to own change, right? If you're not trying to own change, why would you have a bias to action? Why would you be interested in, in the output and whether you're going to make help anybody make a good decision or a bad decision, right? And own change is, a, so, you know, the pandemic was kind of, change was happening and you had to control change and you had to, you were just like the holy crap moment. But, you know, when that kind of thing's not happening, where do you want to go and propel yourself in that direction? 
right? Don't be satisfied with just the way it is. Go get some new technology. Go find out what decisions we should be making and put yourself in the middle of it. Some listeners might be thinking to themselves, okay, this this sounds exactly the kind of things that I need to be doing, but my plate is so full, you know, week, you know, week after week, month after month. So how do I make room for, for, for this? Are there certain things that I need to be doing less of or prioritizing less? Uh, or, or do I just need to find a way to do this too? I think you said it right in your question there, you got to prioritize. There's always a hundred things you can be doing. And if you think of, uh, you know, you're on vacation, you got a week, you're in some strange land, you can't do it all. Pick the sites you want to see. What are the most important to you? What would you enjoy the most? And you do those, right? So you're looking at your at your plate in the office, and uh, there's 101 things you need to do. What do you want to accomplish? What is most important to the business? Thinking further out into the future, thinking now maybe some issues are urgent now, but some are important and not so urgent. When you think about the development roadmap of a SaaS software company, they could develop anything. They could be they could be spending, they could be hiring way more developers and doing a million things, but they have to like focus so that they get constrained within the amount of budget they have, how many people can they hire? And same for us. We've got like a team of 10 people. What can they accomplish? They got to do month end. They got to like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's just like the plumbing. And then you got this little window of opportunity and a way of thinking about things. So yeah, you got to pick wisely. And if it's not going the right just can it and move on to something else. Can you speak to how you're doing that at, at Venna today? Like what, what are the things that you are prioritizing and how are you prioritizing them? Can you speak to the sort of the specifics of, of how you're going about that at Venna to, to drive this sort of agile CFO methodology? Yes. So I've been kind of talking to them a little bit in and out of this discussion, but just to kind of put it in a box, you know, we're a growth stage software company. And uh, we think we have a wide open market. We can make the lives of so many finance people better. We need to reach them. So, you know, our most pressing priority is to reach all these finance people as quickly and efficiently as we can. So that's like looking at that sales funnel. You know, how is the best way to get to them? And, you know, testing all these different channels and testing different ad marketing campaigns or AdWords. What's the conversion rate? What ultimately is going to wind up being, you know, the cost of acquisition? like a year later. So it's important for you to be able to see right up front. You don't want to wait a year to find out that a particular campaign or something was a bad idea. You want to measure it and assess as early as possible, right? So that's getting out front, it's thinking big, and then it's allocating the resources between all the other things you can do because you can also drive growth and customer satisfaction with development. And it's assisting in, you know, you can't make the decision and there's no clear decision even after you've made it between how you allocate between scarce resources, between product development, developing new software and a marketing campaign. But that's, <laughs> that's important to us. So that's where I focus. And then ultimately it's like, as a SaaS software company, you know, you, you're basically a little bit of a finance company as well, right? Because you spend all this money upfront developing the software and, and acquiring the customers, but then they don't, the customers don't pay you back till years after you know, in like over many years, because they're paying you annually rather than, you know, upfront, like the old fashioned uh, software sales, perpetual model, license model. So the question becomes, well, how are you going to finance that? And uh, achieving that right balance between getting as much money as possible. So where, but not too much, 
so that the shareholders and you know the business is growing as fast as it can, but not too fast, not inefficiently, not over diluting. And so that's also a very big priority, a great priority for the finance person in, in my shoes. It's like funding that business appropriately. And that's like squarely in the finance wheelhouse. Right. So there's there's a clear alignment with uh, the business goals. And at Venner, it's, it's about growing as quickly and, and as efficiently as, as possible. As the CFO, you are deeply and intricately involved with shaping how that happens and measuring how that's happening. How do you then involve the rest of your team to support those those objectives? Do you have a, a specific way that you're setting goals with them? Are there particular methodologies that you use to take your team along with you and get them contributing and, and leading elements of, uh, of these objectives? Yes. At Vena, we, we have a, a process that basically, I don't know anyone who uses this the same acronym as we do, but it's similar to the OKRs, Objectives and Key Results Platform. So as a finance team, in, in my direct reports, uh, you know, we have our objectives and we measure basically our results against those on a, on a regularly recurring basis. And our objectives roll up to the total overall companies. But if I look at the kind of objectives we're looking at on the finance team, it's about looking at what the rest of the business is doing, understanding how we're going to support that and making sure we have the staff, the resources, the technology in place to accomplish that. And it's exciting in a growth stage company because at certain some point in time, we were a small company and now we're getting to be a bigger company. And then when you're in the finance department, when you're one person, then you're three people, then you're 10 people, you start with like a jack of all trades and then you move into specialists. And then, you know, it's like growing that, that organization and, and evolving it is like, it's, it's exciting. <laughs> and it's not always straightforward because everyone's got different skills and desires and balancing all of that. But if I look at the number one thing, my number one objective as a leader and my leader's objectives, it's about harnessing that team and keeping them excited and motivated and towards that overall objective of building a great business and you know achieving the overall corporate plan. Are the ways that you do that to harness that team to, to drive them to in, in terms of what you just uh, described? It's that process. But if I had to pick my, you know, you can make one person be as effective as several if you have the right piece of technology. For me, that technology is at the heart of the finance department. And it's a really strong platform for business planning. And I'm lucky enough to work for the company that produces I <laughs> shamelessly say the best. <laughs> uh, we use our own software, Venna. I love it. In terms of Venna's uh, growth expand and expansion, is it is it within North America or are you looking to expand into Europe? What is what's the ambition for growth for for Venna? We are international. We have a, a major presence in North America, but we also have a presence in Europe and around the world. We have actually have a UK office. The platform's completely in the cloud, so you can you can really deploy it anywhere. For a North American company expanding into uh, Europe, have you have you encountered any particular challenges uh, in terms of expanding internationally from a finance perspective? The biggest challenge is not wanting to be spread too thin because you know if you can concentrate on a market, you have a bigger voice and you become more efficient. So if we're just spreading ourselves way thin, then it's more expensive. So we're trying to so organically we're growing internationally. We're leveraging partners in uh, what we call the rest of the world, but uh, we have a direct team in North America and we really are trying to 
maximize our voice in certain markets. So North America remains the priority and then and then the, the UK as the largest uh, European objective? I would say our three priorities are US, UK, and Canada, of course, our home base. The company raised 25 million in September of last year. Can you tell us a little bit about your role during that process and, and what was it like to work through the process of, of raising capital to support Venner's growth? Yeah, so that was actually a debt facility we raised. Our last equity raise we closed uh, with JMI Equity January 2019. It's part of the overall planning process. We're always looking to understand five years plus out you know, where we want to be and how much the optimum balance of spend versus growth that we can achieve. And you can look at that self-funded, or you can look at that with some funding assistance. And you can also look at what type of capital that you can raise, be it debt or equity or different kinds of equity, different kinds of debt to optimize, to further optimize. Because we have a very long-term plan. I can see pretty far out. And we plan to leverage equity and leverage debt. So that last, that $25 million round was a planned round. Fairly early on, we are reaching out or taking calls and saying, hey, this is what we're thinking at this point in time and securing that well before we need it so that we're never in a position where you need something. It's always wanting. We only ever want to do something. It's not need to do something. And that's like a great situation. If you're looking far enough out back to those agile principles, <laughs> you're going to do good. Yeah. And, and has the pandemic changed your approach in any way to uh, financing and uh, whether it's through venture capital or debt? Has that in any way impacted uh, how you've approached uh, or the needs for, for financing? That's interesting. So we're always working towards a cash flow break-even plan with the cash and available credit we have on hand. So the pandemic was a situation where it was like uh, suddenly there was no far less certainty over our sales. And so we took a major haircut on sales and our plan, and then we adjusted our spend appropriately. So we maintained our cash flow break-even plan. And the cash flow break-even plan does at certain milestones include funding, but it's like a dolphin dive. There's always a path to cash flow break-even. You never need the financing. So you know, we went out and got that as a backstop, as like a... Almost like an insurance policy, in a sense. Insurance, yeah, just in case our plan was not even as good as we thought. Thankfully, we did far better than our plan. And the pandemic for us, you know, it hit different industries differently. For us, it was, uh, you know, we found ourselves on the more favorable side of that, thankfully. Once we had more certainty on what we thought was going to happen to us or how things were panning out, we adjusted our plan again, right? And this is part of the being agile is that we run every quarter, we, we run a full budget process. So it's like, top-down guidance based on a long-term plan, set the interim milestones, take that, those milestones apart into their individual puzzle pieces, give them to all the budget stakeholders, and they do a bottom-up every quarter. We wouldn't be able to do that without a really powerful planning process with as many people as we do and as often as we do it. But the advantage of doing that is everyone's on board. Everyone knows what their role is in it, and they know what they need to produce and how much they have to spend to do it, how efficient they need to be. And we're constantly monitoring. It's like, are you going to be able to make it? Maybe you need more money. Are you going to do better? Maybe we can, maybe we can 
give you more money because you're doing such a good job, you know. So and then when are you going to raise money? When is the optimal time to invest more in the business? Are you are you achieving the unit economics you should or better than that so that you can you are a business worth investing in that you should be growing that you should you know, attract investors to invest more at a good price a quarterly uh, planning process is is quite unusual uh no i think it's more more and more common when it was difficult more difficult to do this if you don't have planning platform that makes it easy yeah you're not going to want to do it because everyone's going to be upset and spending all their time doing planning and you're not actually going to be running the business but if you can get all these people involved and do it efficiently and quickly, why would you only do it once a year? Because then you're not getting the benefit of, of adjusting frequently. You know, Just like that software development team, develop something, does it work? Develop something, does it work? Look at it. It's not working. Adjust it, right? And that's the way you're going to get the best possible product, the best possible outcome for your business in the long run is constantly adjusting. And is that a, a four quarter outlook on every quarter? Like, so you come to the end of the quarter and then you re- readjust for the four quarters ahead or, or do you have a shorter window that you're planning out toward? Actually, it's longer. So we do a five-year rolling long-range plan model that's constantly adjusted for the, the last month's results. So we're always, every month we update it. And so we're looking at what's happening. And, uh, you know, it's like your kids. I don't know if you have kids, but uh, you know, you look at them every day and it's like they're no taller than they were yesterday, but then you go see your parent, their grandparents and they go, "Oh my god, you've grown so much." Right? So it's like, but if you're just looking at every little change, right? They're not big adjustments, they're easier to make, right? If you just wait to the end of the year, there's all these big changes and oh my god, what happened? And you know, your objectives are useless because they're either too high or too low and the sales team and everyone's demotivated for one reason or another. If you're constantly adjusting them, less likely for that to happen. But we do the full bottom up every quarter, and that that looks out five quarters. So you're always looking into the next year. So it really makes that so the annual barrier kind of falls away, right? And I've been in lots of examples where you know you do that annual budget, you know you get to Q4 and the sales guys are like suddenly you you say hey well, let's start planning for next year, and they're like oh my god I didn't I didn't like hire enough people to make our targets for next year. <laughs> it's like well, what did, why, why not? It's like, well, I, no one's thinking about next year. So if you're doing the rolling forecast, you're always thinking about that. So you're never short in Q4 and it's never a surprise. Shouldn't be anyway. Sometimes there is, but <laughs> it's not perfect. You can preemptively talk with the business about, okay, we now need to hire additional sales. We now need to hire additional marketing way in advance of actually finishing up the... Way in advance. That's right. Rather than in some companies where, you know, it's known that this budget process can end quite abruptly and all of a sudden you're in the year and then you're hiring and you're kind of, you're already, the, the, the business functions are already behind where they need to be because there's, there's a ramp period where sales have got to come in and then they've got to skill up and then they've got to actually start contributing. So that, so that must, I should imagine, radically change the conversations that you're having at a management level. It isn't, this is where the rubber hits the road and you're talking about the future five quarters versus here's how we performed last month or here's how we performed last quarter. I'm sure I'm sure that's obviously part of the conversation, but the conversation must be augmented by, okay, now having looked at that performance, this is what our outlook is going to be looking like. And so these are the actions that we need or these are the conversations we need to be having and decisions that we need to be making now. Yes, we're always celebrating what happened last quarter last month. But the vast majority of our time is spent 
thinking about what we're doing next. Certainly, you look at what you learned from that last period, that you use that to adjust your plan forward, but you're always looking out really far into the future. It's like, are we still on track? And what do we need to adjust now to stay on track? And again, going back to that pandemic example, fortunately, it was a detour and it's a short one, right? So you're still headed towards that North Star objective. Is this something that is that you were doing at all of your previous companies or is this is this a shift? Is this is this been an approach that's relatively recent that is in large part thanks to the technology that that your company produces and therefore you can you can take advantage of? Or was this no no no? This is always the way that I've been running finance uh, departments. We're always we were always working in the cycle where we were updating the budgets and the outlook on a quarterly basis. Was it happening with that level of frequency, or is that relatively new? I would say the level, the extent that I'm able to do it here at Vanna using Vanna is, is more. So I've always striven to look far out in the future, but in other places maybe we were doing a top-down forecast. Right, So looking out several years, but it would be more of a top-down exercise because without the technology, you really can't bring all these people in. You can't do it with as many people and you can't do it as quickly. Right, So yes, it's an improvement over the past few years. I've always, again, I always need to look way out there. That has never changed. But getting as many people involved as we have now is like, that's newish with the technology, 100%. Cool. Okay. Daryl, it's been really fantastic having you on the on the show. It's been great talking to you about the Agile CFO methodology and mindset and how forward thinking and how f- far out you're looking. So it's been incredibly valuable. So thank you so much for, uh, for being part of the show. I really appreciate the opportunity and thank you for thinking of me. And I hope you had as much fun as I did. One last thing. If you have a question you'd like to ask a guest, visit cfoplaybook.fm to submit it. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense with custom budgets and track transactions in real time, connect accounting software to automate reporting, then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.